You are listening to Explore by the Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. You find me in my kitchen on a cold, overcast and slightly drizzly mid-December morning. It's a relief, actually, that the temperature is a bit warmer than it has been of late. It's been absolutely bitter in recent days, but it's a bit warmer today. But nevertheless, I've wrapped up in all of my warmest cycling clothing because, ding-dong merrily on high, this morning I'm riding the 12 Hills of Christmas. Now, what's the 12 Hills of Christmas? I hear you shout from the auditorium as if uh, this were a pantomime or something. Well, the 12 Hills of Christmas is a ride which was devised by a very good friend of mine called Andrew Brown a number of years ago, and it was in danger of becoming a bit of a tradition, but we haven't done it for a few years, uh, largely because of COVID. Um, But it's, as the name suggests, a ride that takes in 12 hills, and it straddles the three counties of Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire and Buckinghamshire. Now on their own, none of the hills are particularly long, some of them aren't even particularly steep, but as the 90 kilometres wears on, it does become uh, quite tiring, especially at this time of year. Uh, The lanes can be quite uh, gravelly and rainy and wet, so um, I guess I'm at the vanguard of cycling fashion, going on a gravelly ride in the run-up to Christmas. But I'm still old enough and unfashionable enough to be riding a winter bike with full mudguards. It's actually my trusty Condor, which I bought from their shop in central London in the winter, I think December of 2007. So I think this is the 15th winter that this uh, bike has seen me through. Um, It's, uh, well, it's not a glamorous bike by any means. It's battleship grey, but I absolutely love it. It's really comfortable and it's done some great service and I, I love riding it. Um, so even though the weather is not particularly inviting it's time to get out there at least it's not snowing I guess Um, although that would make it festive Um, speaking of festive I've actually decorated my bike I put some lights on the top tube and uh, my daughter helped me wrap my helmet in tinsel so um, people will hopefully see me coming and I've also got a Christmas playlist on my phone which I'm going to play through my sound Uh, bar which is in my handlebar bag Um, I'll see if I can actually hear the music but that should help me get in the mood I think Uh, it's time to put my shoes on and hit the road before I set off I should explain that there's another reason this ride feels more significant to me than usual if you're a regular listener you'll know that I missed quite a lot of the season including most of the Tour de France I was podcasting Alo Zibeldia And in this episode, I'm going to talk a bit about what happened. I'll be talking about my mental health because it feels to me that this ride is another small but important step in the right direction after I got blown off course earlier this year. Now, I'm aware it's Christmas time, a time for celebrations and lightheartedness and joy, so I'll try to offer a bit of balance between light and shade. And if this isn't a subject you want to hear about at the moment for any reason, you are forewarned. But if speaking about my own experiences helps anyone who's struggling, then I think it has some value. Because it's really only relatively recently that people have been encouraged to be more open about their own mental health without feeling like it's an admission of weakness. And one of the reasons I feel more comfortable talking about this now is because I've read and listened to other people doing the same. Anyway, before all of that, there are some hills to get over.
the cycling podcast powered by super sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches and now you can wear the super sapiens energy band the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from abbott's libra sense glucose sport biosensor the Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. Euros. My name is Lionel Burney and this is Explore by the Cycling Podcast, supported by Super Sapiens. If you'd like to learn more about Super Sapiens' continuous glucose monitoring to help your performance, go to supersapiens.com. From the user's point of view, it's very simple. The Abbott Libra Sense patch sticks on the upper arm and sends glucose level readings to the Super Sapiens app in real time. And so from the start, you can begin to monitor how your body responds to the types of food you eat and when you eat them. And over time, you can gain insights into how best to fuel to optimise your performance. Well, here we are, ready to roll. Well, the rain started falling pretty much as soon as I left home. C'est la vie. Uh, but after a 20-minute warm-up, I'm on to the first of the 12 categorised climbs. This is Potten End Hill. And according to my Hammerhead computer, it's 1.4 kilometres long. And... Uh, the steepest it says it's a 13% bit near the top but I wouldn't have said it's that steep it's fairly straight so you can see the the top uh, more or less once you've got going on the climb as I have now just goes round to the right I must admit I don't think it's a kilometre and a bit long but maybe it counts up into the village of Potten End I don't know but anyway warming up a bit now after quite a chilly descent in the Christmassy rain a bonus bit of slow radio Disturbing the birds in the hedgerow. Or is it a partridge in a pear tree? Probably not. Well, this is what I consider to be the top, but it does rise on for another 500 metres. Uh, but it's a bit false flat here. So able to knock it up a gear and recover somewhat before the descent down to the I think the steepest of the climb it's only short but Piper's Hill is a a real brute Uh, and it'll be wet as well and gravelly 
and uh, so you've just got to stay in the saddle and push because I know if I get out of the saddle my back wheel will just spin I've ticked off climbs number two and three now Piper's Hill just as steep as I remember and uh, as I got to the bottom a van just turned into the lane ahead of me and uh, rather than ride up the climb in a corridor of diesel fumes I just waited so I had to start that climb without any momentum did it from a standing start so that was pretty tough and then straight down the other side to the main road and across and into Ledgemore Lane which is climb number three a long steady one and at the top in the canopy of trees um, the road is muddy and mulchy all the autumn leaves have turned to a sort of sludge and you can't really tell exactly where the road surface is broken up all of the rain and the really cold temperatures have started to have an impact on the sides of the roads which happens a lot around here and the top surface has started to crack and potholes are opening up so it's a a bit like the Flemish lanes really don't want to oversell it but um, had a couple of heavy jolts on the handlebars hitting holes in the road that I didn't know were there um, but here I am at the top of climb number three and if I were to turn right I could be home in 10 minutes but I have to turn left and do the rest of the climbs and I think that's one of the challenges of the ride that Andy has devised because even at the furthest point I'm only 15 or 16 kilometers from home so at every turn there's a temptation to make the opposite turn and head towards home rather than stick to the route and tick off the climbs. And I always remember when I was interviewing Sean Kelly for his autobiography he was talking about when he moved from France where he'd been under the very watchful eye of Jean de Gribaldi the sports director of his team who really monitored all of his training and made sure that he was doing exactly what needed to be done. And he moved up to Belgium and he said that he lost a lot of quality training because he was slowing down for the traffic lights and speeding up again and just ambling around and as he put it he always found the handlebars tugging left to turn and go home rather than right and uh, you know do the kilometers that he needed to do and I think that's something that we all find at some point or another on the bike the temptation to take the easy route and just go home I suppose in that sense is uh, metaphor for life you do get a lot more out of it if you make the difficult decision at times and uh, and take the long road uh, perhaps that's just me I don't know I've always had I wouldn't say love-hate relationship with cycling but I've always loved it on a certain level but I've always found that there's a sense of perhaps guilt that it's getting in the way of other things um, home life work life and perhaps because it's my work, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot this year. Where does cycling fit in to my life? And I think I've got to reevaluate that and uh, rediscover the joy of just riding for the sake of it rather than thinking it's something that I have to tick off. And I suppose that's all in my, my thinking. Even in this recording, I've been talking about ticking off the climbs as if they're just obstacles to get over. And I'm trying to reevaluate that a little bit and see the climb as a an enjoyable challenge rather than just something that's in my way certainly all the next four of these climbs are in the way of my lunch so i need to get over them in order to 
have something nice to eat. Um, so I suppose I can't uncouple my thinking entirely. But I know I'm trying to enjoy the climbs a little bit more than, uh, than perhaps I have done in the past. And maybe that's the genius of Andy's route plotting, making it difficult, making it challenging in its way. Um, because how often do you go out for a 90 kilometre ride and only get 15 kilometres from home? It's a slightly unusual challenge in that sense. But having said that, people clock up 100k rides on Zwift without going anywhere. So maybe I'm talking nonsense as usual. I don't know. But anyway, time to push on and enjoy the next climb. A little bit of rolling roads until we get to the next one. And then, as I say, it's countdown to lunch. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. that's hill number five pedley hill done and i've stopped here just because 100 meters back down the road just as the hill levels out a bit is where i had a rather unpleasant fall on the last day of february this year i was out riding with simon gill my very good friend and the cycling podcast resident photographer and as we started to climb a rider came past us and uh, like silly fools who certainly old enough to know better we sprinted to get on the wheel and uh, stayed in the slipstream up the climb i should say getting my disclaimers in early that the rider who passed us was on a full carbon bike and uh, i was on my winter battleship so getting my excuses in early but as we got towards the top i was getting a bit ragged i think feeling quite on the limit and i lost a moment's concentration i got my wheel on the wrong side of simon's rear wheel there was a touch of rubber and uh, i didn't have anywhere to go got trapped between the verge and simon's rear wheel and my bike went left and i went right and i landed heavily right on the point of my shoulder and i knew instantly that i'd fractured my collarbone because i heard it and i could feel it and suddenly well my my arm was just uh, loose um 
couldn't really clench my fist and, and the pain in my collarbone was, was really quite sharp um, and I had a wave of nausea come across me and it was a new experience because I'd never broken a bone before and very fortunate really in the decades that I've been cycling I've never really had any serious incidents either so it was an unpleasant shock and uh, I picked myself up and my partner came out and picked me up and Simon's wife came out and picked up our bikes and uh, I went to the hospital later in the afternoon and they confirmed that it was broken fortunately not displaced so it was a case of just putting my arm in a sling and giving it time to recover nothing much they could do um, the pro riders are treated quite differently because I think most of them if it's not uh, even if it's not a displaced fracture will have the collarbone pinned which means they can get back on the turbo within a few days and I suppose we all revel in those stories don't we we, we remember Matt Heyman fracturing a bone in a crash at Het Newsblad at the end of February and then six weeks later after um, some really intensive indoor training he won Paris-Roubaix and we all revel in those stories of the, the toughness and the, and the refusal to be beaten by something as trivial as a broken bone. But uh, my own experience was certainly a reminder that perhaps I'm a bit blasé about the risks and the dangers and the pain of uh, professional cycling because crashing is an everyday occurrence it's almost part of the job description and the expectation is that the peloton will carry on with or without the riders at fall and the riders at fall there's also an expectation that they will do everything that they can to rejoin the peloton and sometimes they do that um, knowing that they fractured something and their priority is to get over the finish line and, and deal with their broken bodies later on and yeah I don't know perhaps my own experience is just a necessary reminder really not to take for granted what the professional athletes are prepared to accept as uh, the risks um, for their sport but yeah I, it was a real wake up that hitting the ground is well it can be really bloody painful <laughs> As you may know, Simon and I had planned a trip for the middle of the year to ride to each of the 42 Scottish Football League grounds, combining two of our passions, cycling and football. I mean, I admit it's a fairly niche project, one for the purists probably, but uh, we were very much looking forward to it. And a lot of work and planning had gone into setting the itinerary and recording some material because the idea was to make a mini-series of Explore, the trip I'd called the Tour de Cosse. Um, you know, I'd announced it in the podcast and on social media and we were looking forward to it and the collarbone break didn't derail the plans although it did make it harder to carry on cycling I had to take uh, a few weeks off the bike and um, probably lost a bit of the fitness that I'd been building up over the winter and didn't feel as confident going into the trip but that wasn't really the reason that uh, I ended up scrapping the trip um, once we'd arrived in Gretna um, but I feel ready now to kind of talk about some of the things that I've gone through this year because as I look up above my head there's just a blanket of white and grey cloud and it's felt like for a long time this year and perhaps going back further than that 
I've had my head in those clouds, unable to see beyond the end of my nose. Um, but finally, it feels like those clouds are uh, parting a little bit, clearing a bit. And as I say that, there's actually a little patch of blue just opening up above Dunstable Downs over there, which is where I'm heading next. It's a sort of bright Milram blue, not quite Team Sky blue. Uh, but maybe that's uh, the perfect metaphor for this podcast. Um, but I'm happy now to share some of the things that I went through earlier this year. But I need to get on because lunch is calling. I'm going to stop at the little cafe at the Dunstable Downs Visitor Centre, which is at the top of hill number six. And having mentioned the Tour de Cosse, I'm imagining now that producer Adam will slot in the little pre-made trailer that we put together uh, to promote the Tour de Cosse, which hasn't happened yet, but it's back on the agenda for 2022. Simon and I are talking about when we can schedule that and how we can uh, make that same trip but perhaps uh, in a slightly different way. But more of that at some point in the future. But it's still something that I really want to do. I don't want to look back in five or ten years' time and think, oh, wasn't that a great idea? It would have been great. I want to go and achieve that ride. And uh, so that's one of my priorities for next year. But in the immediate short term, my priority is to go and see what they've got for lunch at the Dunstable Downs Visitor Centre. Scottish League Division 1. Adrianians 1, Race Rovers 2, A United 0, Heart of Mendothian 3, Clydebank 2, Alloa 2, Dunfermline Athletic 1, Hamilton Academicals 1, Falkirk 2, Alloa Athletic Adrianians, Heart of Midlothian, Hamilton Academical, Queen's Park and Queen of the South. These are names I associate with the Saturday tea times of my childhood when I'd sit down to watch the football results on BBC's Grandstand programme and the mention of Stenhouse Muir and Stirling Albion would conjure up images of... Well, images of what exactly? I really didn't know. They sounded exotic, far-away places with a touch of romance and mystery that the more familiar English clubs seemed to lack. Scottish League Division 2, Arbro 3, Queen of the South 2. East 5-4, Albion Rovers 3. Meadowbank and East Derlingshire, evening kick-off at 7.30. I'm Lionel Burney and I grew up two doors down from Simon Gill. Hello! As children, our two obsessions were football and then a little later, cycling. We spent our days watching football, playing football and reading about football. And in summer, we'd head off into the Hertfordshire lanes on our bikes, pretending we were riding the Tour de France. Last year, life was put on pause by the pandemic and during the depth of lockdown, we talked about what we'd like to do when restrictions eased and we were allowed to travel again. I said I wanted to do a multi-day bike ride somewhere, a trip from A to Z, taking the time to slow down and enjoy the journey more than rush to the destination. Simon said he wanted to photograph each of the Scottish Football League grounds, and when I looked at the map, I realised we could combine the two ideas. The Tour de Cosse was born, the beautiful game on two wheels. Four. Stenhouse View and Nil. Four Fire Aesthetic, one. Sterling Albion, one. Brecon City, one. Stanra, one. Very and so, over 13 days, riding from Gretna to Dingwall and covering more than 1,300 kilometres, we'll visit each one of those 42 Scottish Football League grounds and explore the countryside, towns and cities in between. There are so many questions to be answered. Will we make it as far as Four Fire without falling out? Why did Dundee and Dundee United play across the street from each other? Why are Cowden Beath called the Blue Brazil? What actually is Iron Brew? 
and do my ancestors really hail from Burnie? The Tour de Cosse will be documented in daily episodes of Explore, and you can also follow our journey by watching our slow-moving docs at thecyclingpodcast.com. Well, the sun's trying to come through the clouds here at Dunstable Downs, but visibility is pretty good. The clouds high enough up to give me a good view of the flatter bit of the edge of the Chilterns here. Dunstable Downs is one of the highest points in the Chilterns. You can probably hear it's quite blustery up here, which is why it's very popular with hang gliders and kite flyers, and down on ground level with dog walkers, and people just out enjoying the fresh air. I'm going to go into the cafe, see what they've got to eat. They used to do a fantastic Bedfordshire clanger here years ago. I haven't seen it on the menu here for a long while. A Bedfordshire clanger is a pastry, a bit like a sausage roll, I guess, but sweet at one end and savoury at the other. So a kind of pork sausage meat, I think it was, at one end, and a mince meat at the other end. And I used to enjoy them, but they don't do them anymore I don't think so it might have to be the trusty jacket potato but we'll see I've forgotten my face covering so I'm going to have to take off my arm warmer and wrap that around my face instead tuck it under my the arms on my glasses maybe and hold it in place but that should do um, but it's very quiet here today I don't know whether that's because it's a Monday lunchtime or because the Covid restrictions are tightening up again and that's discouraged people from going out. I don't know. As I suspected, no Bedfordshire clangers on the menu, which is a shame. Lack of demand, apparently. And like all of these things, there's some dispute about what a traditional Bedfordshire clanger should contain. I always thought it was pork sausage meat at one end and mince meat at the other but apparently there are variations of meat and potato or fruit or even jam so who knows we're not going to find out here because they don't sell them anymore but they do sell Cornish pasties which are obviously universally popular in the UK aren't they even though they're not local um it's got fresh out here so I better press on I've got a descent now uh, which won't warm me up but then the next hill is the one that uh, worries me slightly known locally as Bison Hill it's the one that climbs up the side of Whipsnade Zoo and well I have a memory from when I was a kid of riding out there to watch the milk race go over Bison Hill but recently I've been looking back at some old cycling weeklies and various other resources I've got and I can't find which stage that would have been so maybe I'm mistaken and perhaps it was another race I watched go up there but I could have sworn it was uh, the milk race which has had stage finishes and starts not too far from here in Luton, Wellingarden City um, and over in Oxfordshire in the late 80s and early 90s but I just can't see which stage it might have been so if anyone out there does know has the milk race ever climbed Bison Hill at Whipsnade Zoo let me know um, otherwise what race might that have been in about 1990 or 91 I think it would have been The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport Science in Sport fueled by Science The 12 Hills of Christmas Ride has been fueled by Science in Sport as you would expect and I have been gently topping myself up throughout the ride with 
a couple of bottles of the beta fuel which uh, has just kept me well hydrated and well fueled. It was interesting talking to Jonathan Vortis for a recent episode of the podcast when he made the comment about how fueling has really been revolutionised in the pro ranks simply because riders are able to take on board so much carbohydrate in the form of drinks and uh, I suppose that's what I've been doing although you know, I'm not uh, performing at an elite level here but I do want to get round without hitting the wall and you know I suppose one of the things that I would have underestimated in years gone by is that on a cold day you don't really need to drink too much because well you're not going to get thirsty in the cold are you but I mean of course that is uh, that's uh, very wrong-headed thinking so I've been keeping topped up with the beta fuel I've also got a tiramisu bake as well the old favorite and a gel just in case but I haven't called on either of either of those yet um, I've been also fueled by a jacket potato and cheese and beans and I must admit I possibly didn't need that if I'm honest I can feel my body using quite a lot of energy to digest that which would have been better served uh, helping the legs go round but if you want to take advantage of science in sports 25% discount which is available to all listeners go to scienceinsport.com and use the code SISCP25 and let's just hope I don't need to call on my emergency gel in the final 25 or so kilometres between here and home I have to say it's been a delightful ride so far. The weather's been relatively kind. I just had that little shower right at the start, but since then it's been dry and the sun's even come through the clouds a little bit. And there's a pleasant, if slightly watery, light in the sky. Um, But it's been lovely riding around, seeing so many of the houses already ready for Christmas with lights outside the houses and in the trees and big fluffy wreaths on the front doors and all the cyclists I've passed going in the opposite direction have given me a wave and maybe a funny look perhaps it's the tinsel wrapped around my helmet I don't know but I was thinking about uh, how familiar these roads are because I've been riding these roads ever since I started cycling as a kid and I suppose lockdown meant that we're all stuck closer to home I remember the first lockdown I didn't even go out on my bike which now I look back and knowing what I know now about how the pandemic has panned out I see that as a bit of a missed opportunity I know lots of cyclists did go out and made the most of their allotted hour of exercise outdoors at the start some may have pushed it a bit further than that but I stayed indoors on the turbo trainer and I don't know maybe that was uh, well it felt like the right thing to do at the time but perhaps I look back at that and think that I could have made the most of the very quiet roads at the time but I do think that uh, part of my attempt to look at life a little bit differently for my own sake my the sake of my mental health I've tried to you know enjoy and make the most of um, the very lovely things that I have on the doorstep I mean I don't want to oversell it And I'm not imagining that hordes of cyclo-tourists are going to flock to the Chilterns and do the 12 Hills of Christmas fruit. I don't want to give the impression that it's some epic sportive or anything, but it is a lovely place to ride a bike. The gentle kind of rolling hills. um, So it's always challenging. If you know where you're going, you can stay off the busy roads. And 
even though I haven't seen it on this ride because I don't quite get the, the right view. Um, just a little bit further over from where I am now, you get a great view of the uh, horse that's been carved into the uh, hillside. And so it, it sort of shines out on days like this when the sun catches it because it's the exposed chalk uh, making the outline of a horse. And I suppose if there's one trip this year that has helped me kind of connect with my local area and see it in a more positive light rather than thinking oh I'm riding the same old roads again trying to have a different perspective on things it was my trip down to the south of England to the coast um, at St Leonard's on Sea to meet the photojournalist Roth Smith who during lockdown created his own photo project where he did a series of self-portraits and he just took a different view of having to ride the same roads every day. Um, and I think there was a, I took an awful lot from that and uh, really enjoyed talking to Roth about his own attitude to being pinned to his hometown for so long. His adopted hometown, really, because he's not actually from St. Leonard's on Sea, but he lives there now. Um, you know, his life has been spent traveling around the world for the National Geographic magazine. And uh, so I suppose he had to try and recreate that spirit of adventure, despite being prevented from straying very far from home. And yeah, I reflect back on that episode as quite an important part of my own recovery, I suppose. And I'm very grateful to Roth for spending uh, a few hours with me and sharing his philosophy. The original plan here was that I would record myself talking about my mental health while I was out in the countryside because I thought that the fresh air and the peace and calm might help me express my thoughts a bit more clearly. But standing around in the cold talking about myself felt completely absurd, even more so than it does now, and I was getting chilly. And I was also finding that my most lucid thoughts were coming to me as I was pedalling along, and then when I stopped and switched on the recorder, they just sort of evaporated. In a way, I think that demonstrates the benefits of cycling as a sort of active mindfulness. Anyway, the great thing about podcasting is that you can do a bit of time travelling in the edit. So I'm now back at home in my office, I'm warm and dry, and I've got a cup of tea, and I feel I can talk a little bit about what happened to me earlier this year. It wasn't as dramatic as it could have been. I didn't need to be hospitalised or anything like that. And although I was very down for a period, I wasn't having dark or damaging thoughts, fortunately. But it was a breakdown. And I think in trying to evaluate what had happened to me, I have needed to be more honest with myself in the language that I've used when I've been thinking about it. And so it was a breakdown because I was unable to function the way that I wanted to. I was unable to think clearly or sometimes rationally. 
I was unable to relate to the people close to me the way that I wanted to. And I'd sort of put up a, a hard and prickly defence, which was a defence mechanism because it would keep people and things away from me because I was in a state of fight or flight, I think, a knot of anxiety in my stomach the whole time that wouldn't go away, no matter how close to the top of my to-do list I got, no matter what was going on around me. And I was experiencing no joy in things, frankly. And I can't really pinpoint how long that has been going on for because I think the whole of my adult life I've surfed a wave of good and bad mental health without really realising it. I also think one of the mistakes that I've made in the past when I've felt low is I've tried to focus on a root cause, as if there's one single rational event that can explain why I'm feeling the way I am. But the reality was quite different, and I think it had been coming for a while. It reminds me of the Ernest Hemingway line, How did you go bankrupt? Two ways, gradually, then suddenly. I've worked in the media all of my adult life. I left school and went straight to a newspaper and it's a deadline-driven industry, whether working for a newspaper or a magazine or a podcast. And I suppose I've always thought that the knot in my stomach was uh, caused in part by the looming deadlines and then the rush of adrenaline once that deadline's been met and then the sense of the next one coming at me. But actually, I think that all it's done is mask a deeper sense of anxiety that I hadn't really recognised had nothing to do with my work. Because let's face it, lots of people out there have far more demanding and far more important jobs than I do. And I suppose one of the things that I've been wrestling with is a sense of guilt as well, because I'm in a very fortunate position and I get to do things that lots of people listening to this podcast would love to do I'm sure and so when I'm unable to function doing that one of the first negative thoughts I have is that I should pull myself together and we do live in a pull myself together society really mainly through need and we all need to keep functioning keep earning a living keep going and I think it has taken me a long time longer than many perhaps to recognize that there is no harm in just standing still for a moment and letting the kind of maelstrom go around you and try to identify when I need to walk when I need to run and when I can just stand still I think there's a lot more awareness of mental health issues these days and It's thanks to lots of people that I respect and admire speaking out about their own mental health publicly that has made me confront and identify some of the things that I was thinking and feeling. I've had talking therapy for a number of years and I've found it in the main very helpful, but I've switched it on and switched it off a bit, uh, mainly because I don't want to um, turn that into a sort of similar shade of grey, of nothingness, of just routine and sense that it's just something I do. I try to anticipate and book some sessions when I start to feel that I'm over the summit and starting a descent down to a rather chilly valley. 
as I said, the thrill of deadlines and the thrill of thinking on my feet and trying to do the job I do as best I can has probably masked um, some deeper senses of anxiety because what I'd realised is that the anxiety didn't go away once the deadline was met and it leached across into other aspects of my life, including the things that I really enjoyed. And so I managed to conspire to suck the life and enjoyment out of those things and everything just became a sort of shade of grey a sense of drudgery really and I've only recently recognised that hard work doesn't necessarily mean it has to be drudgery or feel like drudgery to use a cycling analogy another one it's felt like I've been riding a fixed wheel bike not that there's anything wrong with fixed wheel bikes I don't want to annoy all the fixies out there but stuck in one gear with no um, possibility of freewheeling and taking advantage of the descents. And I suppose that's how life had started to feel a bit. Um, and then, as I said, worrying about what will be the thing that will topple me over. And my dad became quite ill at the start of this year. And although I don't want to talk too much about that, he was in hospital for seven weeks and because of covid we were unable to see him until he came home um and that was awful and i know that lots of people out there will have experienced something similar and i have a huge sense of sympathy and empathy for anyone who has gone through something as unpleasant as that and while that's a rational thing to struggle with and i can see that what was not rational was how I coped with that around the edges, either by throwing myself into my work in quite unproductive ways, um, creating tasks for myself that didn't really need to be done, losing sight of what it was that I could do to contribute, and then feeling a sense of guilt that I wasn't being any good in any area of life for a period. I recognize now that i was really struggling through may and into june and simon and i had put a lot of work into planning our trip to scotland and by that stage my dad was out of hospital and i had the blessing of those around me to go and set off on the trip and a big part of my mind thought well this is exactly what i need a two-week bikepacking trip beautiful scenery with one of my closest friends this will straighten me out sort me out it'll be just the tonic but when we set off to drive up to Gretna I just knew instinctively it was the wrong thing to be doing and I could even feel the physical effects the knot in my stomach was giving me all sorts of digestive problems I, my vision was going blurry and I was starting to worry about my physical health on the way up but plowed on that day we got our bikes ready we had a meal which i should have enjoyed but didn't really it was just going round and round in my mouth i couldn't really taste it i couldn't really couldn't really savor it and i was worried about letting people down letting simon down he'd also um, scheduled to be away from his family for a period of time I was costing the podcast money. All of the things that really don't matter suddenly come looming to the front of your mind and have a much more uh, 
a, a much greater significance than they should do. And we decided to have an early night to be ready for the first day's ride. And I thought a good night's sleep will sort me out. But I just could not sleep. I was having hot and cold um, flushes. I was up and down. I was drinking a lot of water. I was convinced I was physically ill. And it was horrible. And the hours passed incredibly slowly. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to ring home and worry my partner. I didn't want to ring Simon or send him a message because I thought, well, if I get a couple of hours sleep, I might be okay. And I committed to this publicly and um, in a small way had uh, a a sense of duty um, to listeners who were looking forward to uh, hearing our adventures, I hope. Um, But it was obvious by about half past six in the morning that I wasn't going to be able to get on my bike and ride so I sent Simon a text and I'm incredibly grateful that uh, Simon's response was very neutral he didn't do one thing or the other he didn't say no come on let's just go for it because that wasn't how I felt I didn't think I could go for it I knew I couldn't and he didn't say no that's fine let's just go home he just left it calm and neutral which was exactly what I needed and then I rang Richard and David Luxton who um, is more than a business manager for the cycling podcast much more than that and uh, yeah I I properly broke down during that conversation because um, they were both incredibly supportive and kind and said exactly the things I needed to hear at that moment and Richard's advice was, don't do what I imagine your instinct is telling you to do, which is to just switch off your phone and disappear. Um, put something on social media so that you disappear on your own terms. And I did that. And I wouldn't have done that had it not been for Richard's um, insistence that it was the right thing to do not for anyone else, but the right thing for me to do. And it absolutely was. And so in that process of just writing out what had happened and why I wasn't setting off on what should have been a really exciting trip, I was able to just start to process what I was really feeling. And I could immediately, as I was typing on my phone, feel the tension in my chest just relax a little bit and the knot in my stomach unwound slightly. And then I was able to just turn off my phone once I knew that I'd given an explanation to anyone who was interested in knowing what was going on. And it meant that I could travel home without feeling that sense of failure and guilt to quite the same degree. It didn't recede entirely, but it did did ease considerably. And, yeah, that cannot be underestimated um firstly how difficult it was to admit publicly um and secondly how much good that did me because it did help speed up a little bit my um recovery
I've rambled on for more than enough time now, but I would like to say thank you to everyone who sent me a message, either by email or on social media at that time. I wasn't able to read those messages initially because it was all a bit too raw, but eventually I did read them all. I'm sorry I've not been able to reply to everyone, but they all meant an awful lot to me, especially those who said that cycling had helped them through some difficult times and particularly those who said thank you for speaking out in a small way about my own mental health difficulties and people said that that was a help to them in feeling perhaps less alone um, recognizing that other people are going through something similar and perhaps helping them feel less stigmatized as well and that's something that I can certainly empathise with because over the recent years, as more people have spoken about their mental health, it's helped to put me more in touch with my thoughts and feelings and also reassure me that it's okay to admit that you're on the verge of not coping. I say that because prevention is better than cure in almost all health matters. And so if in future I can recognise when things are becoming more difficult at an earlier point um, I might avoid um, toppling off the bike uh, and landing up in a metaphorical ditch as I have done a couple of times in recent years. I was in two minds about whether to make this podcast. I knew I wanted to do the ride because it's a ride of some significance to me because I've done it in the past with friends and to me the ride, even though I did it on my own, is about uh, friendship, it's about Christmas. Uh, But I'm also aware that it is the week before Christmas and I don't want to bring everyone down by talking about my mental health difficulties because we should be looking forward to a few days of uh, some nice food and some time spent with friends and family, hopefully. But I also know that this time of year can be difficult for people who are struggling, and especially for those who are struggling on the inside but trying to maintain a veneer of coping and being okay on the outside. And I've been in that position in the past before, and so I would say if there's somebody that you can talk to, whether somebody you know or somebody... Um, in the professional mental health services that you can talk to about how you're feeling I would recommend from my own personal experience that it can and does help and if you've been sceptical give it a whirl but I want to wish everyone a happy Christmas I hope you have a great time Um, I'm certainly hoping to and as we say at this time of year let's hope for better in 2022 Now, with the gift of time travel, let's get back out on the road. This is the top of hill number nine, Ivinghoe Beacon, which, like Dunstable Downs, is in uh, the National Trust's land. And I suppose if there's a Strava heat map of my entire life this would be absolutely glowing because I've probably ridden this hill more than any other in the world um, when I was a kid it was our very own Alpe d'Huez not because it's long or particularly steep but because there's a sort of hairpin halfway up and you can kind of do quite a dramatic look round the corner up the road at what's ahead and it just felt on long summer days like this was our Tour de France playground and I'd get out of the saddle and ride around that corner pretending I was 
Greg LeMond or Robert Miller or Stephen Roach or if I was feeling particularly hipster, maybe Luis Herrera uh, or one of the other Colombians or Spanish climbers. And uh, yeah, this is probably one of my favourite roads as well because it's just a pleasant place to be. Hill number nine. What have I done since I last spoke to you? Well, hill number seven was Bison Hill up past Whipsnade and uh, my Hammerhead cycle computer told me that the gradient peaked at 17% and I can well believe it because it really does kick up. Uh, but I got over there feeling reasonably good. And then on hill number eight, a little deer ran across the road in front of me. And, uh, well, it wasn't towing a sleigh, so I'm assuming it wasn't a reindeer. And then on the bottom of Ivinghoe Beacon, the sheep are grazing on the side of the road, um, which gives it a you know, pleasantly rural quality. The roads are quite quiet today, not many people out and about. So that's been nice as well. And I must admit, it's getting on a bit now. Um, the, there's not going to be an awful lot of light left. Um, in fact, as I was riding up the climb there, the sun was so low in the sky, it almost felt like I was being... Uh, followed by an angle poise lamp giving me my very own spotlight as I came up the climb um, but now that the sun is dipping down I think I should probably press on and get home there's still three more climbs to go including the uh, opposite direction over Piper's Hill which I think is even harder than the the first way over so I'm a little bit a uh, little bit nervous about how the legs will feel then but once I'm over that it's uh, well I'll be within sight of home uh, but as I speak now what have I got mm, probably 20-ish kilometers to go maybe a little bit less so should get home before sunset just about but I've got lights so in the worst case scenario uh, at least I have got lights I've made it home 91.7 kilometers 1200 meters of climbing not the longest ride anyone will have done this year and certainly not the quickest but it feels fairly significant to me that I made it because in the last hour I must admit, the handlebars were tugging in the wrong direction, tempting me to skip the last two climbs, but I'm glad I didn't. I stuck to the route, and even though climb number 11 was uh, pretty hard, I got over it, and I feel okay. The light's fading pretty rapidly now. It's a good job I'm lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, but I'm looking forward to getting back into the warm now thawing out a bit and I think I've earned a mince pie and a cup of mulled wine so until this time next year that's the 12 hills of Christmas Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 